Great. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for your warm welcome. It's great to be with you guys and uh, a very happy Easter to you. And uh, let me just say, uh, for those of you who I don't know, uh, I thought maybe I'd just introduce myself, if I may, uh, just by telling you a funny story. Would that be okay? Yeah? Okay. All right. So I thought I'd just tell you, just for a bit of a laugh, the true story of how I first got together with Julia, who is now my wife. There should be a photo uh, of her. Uh, but anyway, I'll, 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 there we are. Okay, so there she is. All right. So, um, folks, the background to this, the background to this story is that I really liked Julia, but I was absolutely convinced that she would not like me for one very good reason. I thought that she was too good-looking for me. Thank you for that R. This was a fact, a fact that was confirmed to me by all of my friends. But once when there was a big group of us friends, we're all sitting around in a big group, and I'm sitting on this sofa. Actually, Julia's just sitting next to me on my left. And I noticed that her knee was touching mine. But at the time, I dismissed this as purely accidental knee contact. You know, the sort of accidental knee contact that presumably can happen, you know, when a girl finds herself sitting next to some bloke who she doesn't fancy at all. So I thought, any second now, Julia will realize that her knee is touching mine and she will withdraw her knee. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I have to tell you that five seconds passed. And no such, no such knee withdrawal took place. So I thought, well, maybe the sofa is so small that she's been squashed, forced into sustained knee contact against her will. Well, I looked around, no, the sofa was plenty big enough. So I thought, well, maybe she's got one of those medical conditions. You know, you know where you can't feel things? Maybe she's had a nerve cut in her right knee. Maybe she has paralysis of the right knee. But no, Julia showed none of the telltale signs of right knee paralysis. <laughs> so I decided that if her knee was still touching mine in an additional 10 seconds time, I would take that as official confirmation that she was interested in me. 10 seconds later, her knee was still touching mine. And I realized that I had received a signal. Yeah, even though I am a bloke, I was able to work this out. <laughs> so anyway, I, I will now speed up in the story. We need to kind of speed up. So um, I'll now jump ahead, folks. I'll jump ahead more than a year. Okay, more than a year in the story. So more than a year later, I was ready to propose marriage to Julia. And so it was that one night I hid in the bushes... Planning my first burglary. 
You see, my mission was to break into Judea's parents' house and steal her passport because my plan was to whisk her away to Paris and then propose marriage in Paris because I'm thinking if I can up the romance level high enough, then when I say, will you marry me, she might say yes in a sort of disorientated daze <laughs> brought on by the excitement of the Eurostar. So I, I broke into her parents' house, I stole her passport and took her to Paris and in a restaurant called Le Table d'Hôte du Palais Royal, which set me back a bit, um, I got down on one knee, I said, will you marry me? And she said, yes. I thought you'd be excited about that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> folks, I have to tell you, as I knelt in that restaurant in Paris, and she said yes. That was an electric feeling. And you know, I've only ever had that same electric feeling on one other occasion in my life, and that was on the day when I began a relationship with God. And I want to encourage you if you're not sure whether you have got a relationship with God, if you want to know the security and power of God in your life, then I'd love to give you an easy opportunity to begin that relationship afresh this morning. So if, for example, you don't know for sure that if perish the thought you were to die tonight, you don't know for sure that you'd be in heaven, well, you can be sure. Because even though none of us are good enough, Jesus Christ is good enough. And so you can put your hand into his hand, and he does all the work. And because it's all about him, you can be sure. So at the end of this message, while everybody's picking up a pen and writing a comment on the comment card saying, you know, how we could do it better next year, what did you think of this morning's service, just leaving a comment, while everyone's writing something, you can, on that card, say yes to God this morning if you want to. Okay, first, I wonder if we could get into our subject for this morning by me telling you about a funny thing that happened one year on our, Julia and my, wedding anniversary meal. So this was a uh, romantic occasion at an Italian restaurant. The evening was going really well. In fact, the evening was going so well that looking across the table on our wedding anniversary, I plucked up the courage to ask my wife, Julia, a question that I had never, ever asked her before. I asked her, why did you marry me? And she replied, well, I could see that you needed help. <laughs> Incredulous, I said, what do you mean? She said, you weren't normal. <laughs> she said, you needed sorting out. And she wasn't kidding because folks, for those three years, the three years before I married Julia, I only ate tinned meat. Yeah, I had four tins that I used to rotate. Um, Sainsbury's chili con carne, Sainsbury's chicken madras, Sainsbury's chicken korma, and in my opinion, the prince of Sainsbury's Tim Meat Range, Chicken Supreme. 
In fact, Julia looked me in the eye once and she said, I know dogs that have got a more varied diet than you. And I look back and now and I think, why didn't I bother? Why didn't I bother to cook something nice for myself? And I think, well, couldn't see the point. And some people feel that way about life. There doesn't seem to be a point. But the Bible says that there is a point to life. The Bible says that there is a reason why we are here. In fact, there's a reason why you, in particular, are here. The Bible says there really is a loving God. Now, I don't know whether you feel like you have experienced him or not, but the Bible says that this loving God nevertheless exists and that he has brought you into the world because he wants to have a relationship with you. Now, sadly, this relationship has been blocked. It's become blocked by the wrong things that I do or that we do. But the great news is that at the first Easter, that blockage was removed. The barrier between us and God was removed. And now we can know God and we can have a, as a result, a lasting, transforming peace. So let us read Luke's account. This is from the Bible, um, the New Testament, of what happened on that very first Easter Sunday, we read these words. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you when he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they didn't believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. So these people are all confused, frightened, disorientated. This was a troubling and perplexing set of circumstances for them. The the one thing these people did not have was peace. They had no idea what was going on. The text says they were frightened. They get asked, why do you look for the living among the dead? What? They were confused and bewildered. They had had circumstances thrust upon them that brought them no peace. I wonder whether maybe you feel a bit like that 
I don't know whether you felt that, maybe, over the last two years at times. We've had two years of COVID, lockdowns, uncertainty. Oh, no, things are starting to get better. Oh, no, 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 they're not. They're starting to get worse again. And then Russia invades Ukraine. The past two years have been challenging for many. Anxiety, mental health issues, family hassles, tension, work pressures. We want peace. That's what these people wanted in this story. They, they wanted peace. They wanted peace, but they were not gullible. Did you see that? They're not credulous. Peter, for example, sees that the stone has been rolled away. Peter sees the empty tomb. Peter even sees the strips of linen where Jesus' body used to be. But rather than punching the air saying, yes, yes, I knew it. Yes, he's done it. Oh, wow, death is defeated. Hurrah, hallelujah. Peter responds exactly how you and I would have responded if we had been there. Peter walks in and is like, oh, oh, uh, where's his body gone? He goes off by himself, wondering what had happened. He's trying to think of an explanation. The explanation that Christ is risen has not even occurred to him. Then Jesus appears to his disciples. In verse 36, we read, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, what a great moment this is, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still didn't believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So do you notice the first thing he says to them is, peace be with you? The first thing that Jesus is offering you today is his peace. Now, I want to know why Jesus says that he must be killed. This is back in verse 7. I want to know why he says he must be crucified. I mean, why not say at the start of his kind of ministry, hey guys, look, you know, obviously the world's a dangerous place. Who knows what might happen? Guys, just to kind of warn you, 
I might be killed? He doesn't say that. He says from the get-go, I must be killed. I must be crucified. I also want to know why Jesus is talking about the forgiveness of sins in verse 47. I mean, what has that got to do with his death and resurrection? What is the connection? But the first thing Jesus wants to do is to step into my life and step into your life this morning and give you his peace. He says to you, peace be with you. Verse 36. Now let's see how Jesus brings us this peace. Folks, my story is that I didn't go to church. I didn't go to church. I didn't have any friends who went to church. But then I was invited along, somewhat out of the blue, to Wimbledon Baptist Church. And I met people there who did have a sense of peace that was not dependent on their circumstances. They didn't need their life to be going well to have this peace. And at their Easter Sunday service, the pastor, the Reverend Norman Moss, did a talk entitled, What's the Point of Easter? And he said that if we accept what Christ accomplished at that first Easter, then Christ will give us peace and joy in this life and the same in the next. But then to illustrate how Norman launched into a dramatic sketch whereby he got off the stage and he invited three members of the Easter Sunday, don't worry, I won't do this, Easter Sunday <laughs> congregation to come and stand. He's got three chairs. He's got one chair here, one in the middle. He's got another chair here. So he's getting three volunteers. Nobody knows what's going on. So he gets his first volunteer and this person comes and stands on a chair over here and Norman, incidentally, narrates his own sketch. He says, this person is playing the part, Norman says, of God the Father. Norman says, in the beginning, God creates gravity and electromagnetism, neutrons and electrons. God brings space, time, matter, and energy into existence at a point in the finite past, out of nothing. God creates our finely tuned universe and then God creates life. God creates human beings and he's off. Norman's off again. He's looking for a second volunteer. So this person, he, Norman explains, this person's going to play the part of humanity, you know, womankind, mankind. So this person now stands on a chair right next to God the Father. So God and man are standing right next to each other. They have a massive hug. And at this point, everything in Norman's sketch is going really well. But then sadly, what happens next in Norman's sketch is that man over here, he starts to get so preoccupied with all the gifts that he's been given. It's like he kind of forgets where all these gifts have come from. In fact, he turns his back on the gift giver and before you know it, he's got down off his chair and he's wandering off in this direction. Can I just say that, personally, I can relate to this. I can sympathize with this. Because I think I would have said, well, yeah, I mean, if God really did make the oxygen that I'm breathing, I mean, if God really did make the planet that I'm standing on, 
Well, yeah, I, I suppose God probably should be number one in my life, but I mean, for so many reasons, he's not. I mean, not really. Hey, God's kind of on my radar somewhere, I would have said. Folks, by this stage in Norman's sketch, man has got back on his chair, but he's really quite a long way away from God the Father over there on that chair. And Norman says, look, the thing is, Norman says, the thing is, that actually all of us are on this chair. That all of us have sinned and now we fall short of the glory of God. I mean, the glory of God's over there on that chair. We're over here on this chair. There's this, like this big gap. And no one says, the thing is, no one says that if we die on this chair, we will not be in heaven when we die because heaven's all the way over there. He says, we're looking at eternal separation from God. We're looking at the death penalty. And then to illustrate this point, he reached from some objects and I've got some here today. And these things, um, I'll just show you what they are because you may have seen them in the museum or something. They're called videotapes. Maybe your, your parents told you about them or possibly your grandparents. Um, and these things, in the olden days, these used to be used to record images. Yeah, so Norman said, just imagine, Norman said, that these videotapes not just contained images of everything you've ever done, but also everything you've ever said. And then he said, just imagine if these videotapes also contained a record of every single thing that you had ever thought. And he says, just imagine if somebody were to edit together now your top ten worst ever thoughts. He said, how would you feel if somebody projected your top ten worst ever thoughts on the screen right now. Folks, if we have fallen short of our own standards, how much more have we fallen short of God's? I mean, I know, just to break in, if it was my worst ever thoughts, I'd be gutted. If you, if you knew what I was really like, I'd be devastated. But Norma says, it's those things that are on the screen. It's the things that are on the tapes. These are the things, these are the moments when we fell short, we've fallen short of the glory of God. And so we bring upon ourselves this separation, this death penalty. Heaven's over there, we're here, we're looking at a death penalty. Norman says, this is the bad news. That the Bible says the result of the wages of sin is death. This is the bad news, he says. But then his face lights up and he scampers across the stage. And he says, but the good news is that God over here on this chair is so loving that when he sees you and me over there in that terrible predicament, he does something about it. Oh, yes. And he's off. He's off for the third and final time. He's looking for his third volunteer. Gets a third person. He explains, this person's going to be playing the part of Jesus. So Jesus comes up, and Jesus stands on a chair in between God and man. And Jesus stands there with his arms reached out like so. And Norman says, look, this is why... Jesus says he must be killed. This is why Jesus says that he must be crucified. This is why he says it is for the forgiveness of sins. Because when Jesus died on the cross on that first Good Friday, he was taking the death penalty, the death penalty that was coming to you and me on this chair, but Jesus instead 
takes that penalty and dies in our place. In the place of everyone who would ever trust in him. Jesus dies as our substitute in our place instead of us. So Jesus solves the dilemma. He solves the problem. He creates like an escape route, a solution for man over here who's completely stuck with no hope. All of a sudden, there's what appears to be a bridge. A bridge back to God. I mean, the one thing that you want has suddenly appeared. And so Norman's sketch ends memorably with man kind of sizing up his options, weighing up the options, and he decides to go for it. And so Norman's sketch ends with man holding on to Jesus. He goes through the cross, by the cross, he's climbing across all three chairs. He holds on to Jesus, and then eventually he gets all the way back onto the same chair as God the Father. Once again, God and man are reunited. They have this massive hug. The Easter Sunday congregation erupts in cheers and laughter and applause. And then Norman spins around and says, that's the point of Easter. That God so loved you over there on that chair that at the first Easter, his only son came to die so that now, if you believe in him, if you trust in him, you will not perish on this chair. No, you will make that decision. You will put all your trust in Jesus on the cross and that is how you will eventually end up back with God the Father on this chair and you will have that eternal lasting sense of peace. And it's amazing to think, folks, that Jesus actually volunteered for this rescue mission. That this life which began with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, by stark contrast, ended with, first of all, a Roman whip or a Roman flagellum that was used by uh, Roman soldiers, this is before he was crucified, to, to whip his back. And then after that, a crown of thorns was placed upon his head. And then... Roman nails were driven into his hands and feet. And so as Jesus hung there on the cross, in a sense he was building a bridge. He was making a connection, figuratively speaking, between heaven and earth and between God over here on the one hand and man over here on the other. And Jesus was uniquely qualified to bring these two parties together because on the one hand, Jesus was, according to the Bible, fully God. He was as much God as God the Father is God, as much God as God the Holy Spirit is God. But on the other hand, Jesus of Nazareth is a fact of history. He was a real human being. And so as Jesus hung on the cross, connecting heaven and earth, God and man, as he reached the end of his life, yes, he did have a sense of mission accomplished, of bridge built, job done. And at the end of his life, there was some sort of surge of satisfaction, mission accomplished, and he actually cried out from the cross as he died, it is finished. Job done. He just built the bridge that he came into the world to build. A bridge across which any one of us this morning in this room, we can cross that bridge in a few minutes when we fill out the comment cards. And if you do cross that bridge this morning, 
if you are reunited over here with your loving Heavenly Father, then you will have that eternal, lasting sense of peace. God the Father will embrace you. Once you've got that peace, once you've crossed that bridge, what a thing it is for you. If you do cross that bridge, in just a few minutes when we fill out the comment cards, what a thing it will be for you tomorrow morning and then every morning for the rest of your life knowing it doesn't matter what comes against me today. I know God loves me. God's got a good plan for my life. I've got peace with God. And if you're not sure that you've got that peace, you can have it. Folks, the whole reason why Christ died at the first Easter is so that you can have that peace. That's the whole point. It's so that you can have that peace. And that is why the first thing Jesus says on his resurrection is peace be with you. If you cross that bridge, you will be reunited back in the arms of your loving, heavenly Father. Just before I close, can I ask a question? Whatever happened to those tapes? Well, these contain stuff that can't go into a holy heaven, stuff that would pollute a holy heaven, things that I've done or maybe you've done that couldn't ever be in a holy heaven because it would pollute. It wouldn't be perfect anymore. if it was, They just can't go there. Well, let's imagine for a moment that this white sheet represents heaven. Let's imagine that heaven, for the sake of this illustration, is up here somewhere, okay, just for the sake of the illustration. And let's imagine that we're down here. What happened when Jesus came into the world? Let's imagine that Jesus is also represented by the white sheet. Jesus comes into our world, and as he dies on the cross, the Bible says what was happening is he was covering over all of our sins, all of our wrongdoing, all of the stuff on my tape, on your tape. In fact, the Bible says that on the cross, God made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, Jesus never sinned, to become sin for us, so that in him, we could become the righteousness of God. Now, let's see what happens next as we close. Remember, we're saying heaven's up here somewhere. We're down here. Jesus has just died on the cross. But we still have the barrier of death, yeah? The barrier of death. There's heaven. We're down here. Jesus has just died on the cross. The barrier of death is there. On the first Easter Sunday, what happened was Jesus punched a hole through the barrier of death and went up through that hole to be with his Father. He ascended to be with his Father subsequently in heaven. But look, hey, what just happened to you? Did you see? Did you see what just happened to you? As Christ rises from the dead, you do too. As Christ rises never to die again, you do too. What happened to him just happened to you. As Christ is raised, so you will be too. As Christ goes to be with his Father forever in heaven, you will be with your Father God forever in heaven. And I'm here to tell you today that when these tapes are placed into God's 
VCR, and he presses play, the story of your life, your screen, these tapes, will just be wiped blood red. All of your sins wiped away by the precious blood of Christ shed for you on the cross. I wonder whether the band would like to come and join me. And as they come up, what we'll do now is we'll just sing uh, a song together. Then I'm going to come back briefly. And I'm just going to read a prayer, a response prayer. This prayer is going to say, God, I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place. Now I'm turning to you. And after I've read that prayer, we will pray that prayer. It won't take long. We'll be all done and dusted in a few, uh, few seconds. And then once we've prayed that prayer, I will say, hey, let's all pick up a comment card and a pen. Let's leave a comment. You know, what did you think of our Easter service? Um, we'll do this again next year. How could we do it better? We genuinely do want your feedback. You're trying to make our events better every single year. But while everybody's writing something, if you want to make that prayer your prayer, then you can just tick the box on that card that says, I want to make the prayer my prayer, and then we'll, we'll close. So shall we stand together? These guys are going to lead us. We're going to sing. We're going to celebrate. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to pray. Wonderful. Well, I'm just going to ask the, the guys just to carry on playing quietly. We're going to pray together now. Do you just want to have a seat while we pray together? I want to show you a prayer. In a moment, I'm going to ask you if you'd like to to pray this prayer. I won't ask you to pray it out loud, but I want to at least show you what this prayer is. This is a prayer that you could choose to pray this morning. I'll just read it first. It says, Dear Lord God, I am sorry for the wrong things I've done. I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place as my substitute instead of me so that I'm totally forgiven. And thank you that on the first Easter Sunday, you punched a hole in the barrier of death so that I can be with you in heaven. I'm turning to you. You are my Savior and Lord. Now, folks, you can make that your prayer this morning in just a moment. Maybe you already know. You feel like you need the forgiveness that Christ offers. Maybe you want this relationship with God. You want to be reunited. You want to have that embrace. You want to cross that bridge. You want that peace. If you want that peace, then why don't we pray together now? I'm just going to pray the prayer again. I'm not asking you to pray out loud. You can just pray silently in your heart. Let's pray, shall we? Let's pray together. And maybe in the silence this morning, you are praying something like this. Dear Lord God, I am sorry for the wrong things that I've done. I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. But thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place as my substitute instead of me so that I'm totally forgiven. And thank you that on the first Easter Sunday, you punched a hole in the barrier of death so that I can be with you in heaven. I'm turning to you. You are my Savior and Lord.
Amen. Amen. Now, if you want to make that your prayer, then just silently, as everybody, as quietly as we can, reaches for a pen. It's probably on the floor or under your chair. You want to pick it up now? Pick up a card and a pen. As everybody's writing something, we're going to ask everybody to join in. You can just tick the box that says, I want to make the prayer my prayer. So we genuinely want to get your feedback. Guys, the idea here is that if there's somebody sitting behind you or in front of you, and they actually do want to tick that box, if we all reach for a pen and all write something, they won't feel like they're the only one who's reaching for a pen. So tell us what you thought. How could we do it better next year? What did you like? What didn't you like? But if you want to make that prayer your prayer, just tick the box that says, I want to make the prayer my prayer today. And if you are ticking that box, please tell us who you are. Tell us who you are. Tell us how we can get in contact with you because we'd love to encourage you. We love the response you're making to have the best possible benefit for the rest of your life. We'd love to encourage you. That's our goal. We want to encourage you but we'd love to know how we can encourage you. So if you tell us who you are, tell us how we can get in contact with you, that would be tremendous. So I'm just going to be quiet for about 30 seconds while you just leave your comments. And then I'm going to invite Sam and Grace to come and close our meeting. thank you so much for your comments just want to encourage you as our service comes to an end uh, leave your comment card on your chair and our stewards will come and collect all of them up immediately so it will be collected straight away just leave it face down on your chair and we'll collect all them up I'm going to pray and then I'm going to hand back to our hosts Father I thank you for everybody who's just put their trust in Jesus Christ I thank you, Lord, for those who are going to receive that peace as a result. I thank you for lives changed once again in this building. Thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus. And thank you so much for raising him from the dead. Amen. God bless you. It's been great being with you. I'll see you next time. Hey, my name's Dan Baptist, and I'm lead pastor here at Jubilee Community Church. We really hope that something from this morning's word has blessed you and reached you. And if you'd like to talk about anything you've heard or just be able to talk about maybe faith or get some prayer, then please get in contact. You can email us, give us a call at the centre and one of the team's going to get back to you. We'd love to do this, especially if you're just thinking about what it is to become a Christian. You want to sit down and really talk that through with anyone. We also run regularly on a Sunday some Joining the Church courses. And if you want to know more about Jubilee Community Church and what it is to belong here, then you can just uh, find out online when the next one of those is going on and you can attend, have a meal, sit down, talk about it.
We also have some amazing midweek group life uh, where it's a great opportunity to dig further into your faith. Again, you can find out that on our website too. Anyway, just wanted to say hi and uh, bless you and we'll catch up soon.